Do you smell that? Love is in the air. Welcome to Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans, for the fans. And I am your host, Conrad Cushman, and we are here today with a review of St. Valentine's Day Massacre. This is episode 44 of the Everything Pro Wrestling Podcast. We are here to review St. Valentine's Day Massacre in your house. Now, this event took place on 2-14-1999. Man, that seems like it was ages ago for me. I had to be in the sixth grade, just a fool, <laughs> a young kid. Um, just crazy times when you think back about it. And wondering how and why I was watching this stuff. But I saw a lot of kids in the audience for this show. So definitely something interesting that I wanted to go back and watch. Now, first and foremost, the name St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, a lot of people didn't know how the show got its name. Now, I'm going to give you a second if you're a trivia buff to pause and figure out where the name came from. All right. I'm going to let you guys know the name actually came from a gang war that was going on between Al Capone and Bugs Moran, uh, and it was called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. You guys could look that up if you want, but um, that's where the name came from. So I thought that was a little cool fact that you guys may like to know. This event took place in Memphis, Tennessee at the Pyramid. If you've never seen the Pyramid, it's one of the coolest arenas that you could possibly see. Shaped like a pyramid. Absolutely love it. Um, there were 19,000 people about in attendance for this pay-per-view. The announcers were Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler, and our ring announcer was Howard Finkel, the legend. Let's get into the show, guys. Uh, they have an intro. They have, like, love music kind of playing in the background, talking about, like, you drive me crazy. And um, I thought it was really cool talking about, you know, my baby's driving me crazy, but they're showing all these, like, brutal things that happen in wrestling from low blows to chair shots and they kind of have something that's supposed to be portrayed as a love song so very cool intro for whoever thought of that um they hype the big steel cage match between vince mcmahon and stone cold steve austin and the last man standing match between the rock and mankind but we start things off with our very first match and it's gold dust versus the blue meanie All right, guys, so this is all happening during the Attitude Era. The Attitude Era is all about characters and storyline. So what's going on with this one? The Blue Meanie, who is famous for his time in ECW, um, very entertaining in ECW, he came over to the WWE around this time, and he is trying to mimic Goldust, basically copycat him to the fullest. Uh, he's coming out as Blue Dust. He's dressed up as... Gold dust, but wearing all blue. Um, he's doing scenes backstage where he's basically nude with leaves and stuff covering him, and he's choking on the leaves. It was just weird stuff. Um, so this match is happening, and Blue Meanie eventually comes out to the ring. He's ready to fight Gold Dust. He's dressed as Blue Dust throughout the match. He's wearing like a big onesie. It's weird, but he comes out with these like huge shorts on, whatever it's supposed to be. 
and Goldust comes out, and there's a lot of like weird sexual overtones in this match, especially during the Attitude Era. So when I saw this, I'm not surprised, but if there's a younger fan who goes back to watch this, you'll be like, whoa, I can't believe they did this on TV. Um, Goldust even did a part where he gave Blue Meanie a wedgie and smacks him on the ass a couple times. Weird. Um, Meanie ends up going for his moonsault, and he misses the moonsault. Goldust hits the curtain call. One, two, three. This match was over in less than five minutes. Um, after Goldust hits the curtain call, he puts Meanie in the corner. And when Goldust puts your legs up on the middle ropes, it's time for Shattered Dreams. Goldust hits it. The crowd goes nuts for it. Um, overall, I gave this match a grade of a D plus. It wasn't that long. And I get it. Some people are saying, how could you rate it? Maybe it's a dud or a NA rating, but I really couldn't say it for it. It had enough time. They did kind of have a miniature match during all of this. And it, I don't know, it just wasn't working for me. And I think that's why later on after this, this led to them becoming like a creepy tag team to where Blue Meanie was calling Goldust Mommy. And it just got really weird. And it all poured, it falls into like a mid-card storyline with Goldust later on. And if we review the next show, which would be WrestleMania 15 one day, we'll get into it a little bit deeper. Um, then we get some highlights from Sunday Night Heat. Man, Sunday Night Heat used to be like the build-up show that Sunday night on MTV before the big pay-per-views. And they would try and, you know, set up some matches and get some stuff going, especially in the beginning days of it. So around this time... On Sunday night, we had Vince McMahon try to lure Stone Cold into uh, canceling the cage match. Basically, if Austin put his hands on Vince, the match would be called off and all of the stakes that are on the line, it's all gone. Well, Vince spits on Stone Cold Steve Austin and Austin says, I'm going to use this uh, your blood to wipe up the spit later on. And Austin knows that he's waiting for the bigger chase so he doesn't fall for it. Our next match, match number two on this card, is for the WWF Hardcore title. We have Al Snow with Head, who is the current Hardcore champion, defending his title against Hardcore Holly. How do you like me now? Um, so we have two former Job Squad members in the ring. Uh, the Job Squad was a, a group of guys who were known as jobbers at the time, and they kind of formed a stable with them because everyone had a stable back then. And they were all in a team, but eventually that team kind of just disintegrated randomly. No real explanation, but Hardcore Holly, a.k.a. Bob Holly, was in there. And he started getting a reputation for being in these hardcore matches. And in my opinion, this actually was the best gimmick that ever happened to Bob Holly. It saved his career, gave him a resurgence, and it put him somewhere where he belonged and somewhere where he could dominate. And I think that's what the hardcore title was good for. It gave lower card acts something to do. Now, Bob Holly, Bob Holly before this was very underutilized as Thurman Sparkplug Holly. Um, and there were jokes made by the King even throughout this match about him being Sparkplug Holly. Whatever, dude. The race car driver thing wasn't getting over. But him using these weapons got him over. And Al Snow with head. You got to remember how many gimmicks Al Snow went through. He was Avatar, uh, Leaf Cassidy. He was in the New Rockers with Marty Jannetty as Leaf Cassidy. He went through so much garbage that you're just like, ugh, dude, all bad stuff. But Al Snow with a mannequin head worked where he was crazy and talking to himself. Go figure. Uh, that shows the creative genius of Paul Heyman, by the way. 
So we get into this hardcore title match, and this match is just like Crash Course TV. Now, I know some people absolutely hate this, and other people absolutely love it. Now, I'm one of the people who are more on the side of, I enjoyed hardcore matches back in the day, just because it was something different, broke up the monotony. The only question I always had was, how can these guys get hit with all these weapons, but then I'm supposed to believe another guy got hit with the chair and he's out. Needless to say, we get into this match, uh, Crash Course TV, they're all over the place, and it's just something that's fun. People are hit with things like floor tiles in this match, fire extinguishers, mops, brooms, pay phones, a chain link fence, barbed wire, wood, uh, wheelbarrow, and all of this for some jacked up belt that's broken called the hardcore title. The finish of this match actually happens when they end up in the Mississippi River. After hitting Al Snow with a stick, um, he winds up getting like rolled up in this chain link fence that Hardcore Holly had brought out. And he pens him one, two, three. Hardcore Holly is your new hardcore champion. The finish was kind of hokey because Al Snow was stuck in the chain link fence, like talking to himself and saying, he didn't pen me really. And the belt's still mine. Whatever. Um, overall, I gave it a grade of a C. I could see how you could fluctuate either way on that a little bit. Maybe a C plus to even a C minus, even to a D plus, maybe if you didn't like it. But I thought it was a good match. It put Hardcore Holly over and it established that we have potential to have new stars in the Attitude Era. So good to see Bob Holly get that victory here. Next, we get the Undertaker and Ministry promo. Now, the Undertaker is giving Midian his assignment, basically telling him he needs to take out the big boss, man. And the Undertaker has the whole ministry back there, and it's kind of like a cult-like feeling with the lights being dim and Undertaker talking to them with their hoods up. They look like the emo kids like just hanging around backstage with uh, fiery trash cans and stuff. So the next match is the Big Boss Man versus Midian. Now we have to set this all up. Um, Midian started carrying around an eyeball at this time. He was going through a weird gimmick change, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and Big Boss Man at the time had just returned to the company a few months prior, and the Big Boss Man was head of the corporation. Well, what does that really mean, right? Big Boss Man was in charge of doing Vince McMahon's bidding, basically, and he would go out there and beat down anybody who Vince McMahon wanted to, and Boss Man always had the handcuffs, the nightstick, so it all worked out for him. In this match, though, um, Midian comes out, and like I said, his character was everything that was running through my mind. I remember when he was Phineas I. Godwin, you know, because they were the hog farmers, uh, and that spells pig. Real cute, whoever thought of that. And before that, he was Dennis Knight in Southern Justice. They were kind of like security guards for Jeff Jarrett. That wasn't working either. So they went with Midian, changed him completely, and he walked around with an eyeball on his shirt. I think he had a tattoo of it, too, if I'm not mistaken. And he had an eyeball in a glass jar that he would uh, always carry around. And, you know, Michael Cole's trying to say he smells formaldehyde, and they're really trying to put this gimmick over. Boss Man comes out. He does his usual stuff. Now, Boss Man matches back in these days. Boss Man had this heat, and it wasn't like, oh, you're getting great heel heat. Boss Man had this go away, get out my face, I don't want to see you on TV heat. Um, it's not at its peak quite yet, but people did not like Big Boss Man at this time, <laughs> and it showed in this match. A lot of people were chanting, Boss Man sucks. Uh, he got a lot of hatred for this. So... Midian, I think the character ends up coming from him linking back up with his old pal, The Undertaker. I know that The Undertaker and the BSK guys were all friends like Henry Godwin 
and Kama, Mustafa, whatever you want to call him, the Godfather, they were all buddies. And I think Phineas was lumped in with them in a lot of these pictures. And Phineas needed to be put over in a new gimmick. So that's how he ends up with this Midian character. And he's with the Undertaker in the ministry at the time. Now, Taker himself was also going through a transformation. He's not wrestling on the show at all, but Taker is the figurehead for the ministry. Him and Paul Bearer leading the ministry into the Attitude Era. And a lot of people love this version of Undertaker. Some people don't like it. Um, I thought he had really cool music, and I enjoyed the ministry, Undertaker, minus some of the storyline stuff that they did with him. Back to Big Boss Man versus Midian, though, for this match. Um, this isn't like match of the night material, I promise you. Uh, but I will say that this match told a story, and you will pay attention to the story that's being told because it gets very interesting, especially with everything that's going on. So when you're watching this match, you have a lot of different things happening, moving parts that are happening in the background. So we first look at the corporation versus the ministry, and we can get into that later on. Like I said, once we do like a WrestleMania 15 review of everything that happens after this, because it gets very interesting. But Undertaker had like an agenda against Vince McMahon at this time, and he wanted Vince McMahon to basically give him something and he knew secrets and that's all that matters at this point that's all that you needed to know and Vince McMahon is basically two heel factions fighting over something you're like well what could it be that he wants so bad and it intrigued me I remember this as a kid just being so intriguing um and you wanted to know what the payoff's going to be for this match well, Bossman goes in there. This is a rough match. I mean, just basic stuff. But Bossman ends up getting the victory with the Bossman Slam. Nothing special here. Bossman wins the battle, but he doesn't win the war because the ministry immediately comes out afterwards. And the ministry had Midian, like I said. We had the Brood, which was Gangrel, Edge, and Christian. The Acolytes, which are Bradshaw and Farouk, Viscera. And they are all coming out led by The Undertaker and Paul Bear to beat the holy hell out of the Big Boss Man. Big Boss Man has no one to come out and help him. And that's my first question watching him get beat down is, where the hell's the corporation? Test and Ken Shamrock and everyone else was too busy to come out and help Boss Man as he's getting jumped by like six or seven guys? Unbelievable. Um, but after a couple splashes from Viscera and the rest of the ministry take him out basically over their shoulders... And there's three on each side carrying Boss Man to the back. And it leaves you wondering, where is Big Boss Man going and what's going to happen to him? Overall, I give this a grade of a C-. minus, But still, where was the corporation when I'm talking about this? Like, how could you let this happen? It's such a big storyline. And even when I was younger, I wondered, why didn't anybody help Boss Man? Maybe it'll make sense later on. But... And let's get into the fourth match, the WWF Tag Team Title Match. At the current time, we had Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart uh, with Deborah as the Tag Team Champions. And just to think, Jeff Jarrett was just on Monday Night Raw around this time, which was 20 years ago at this point. Jeff Jarrett was last on Monday Night Raw um, competing. I would say probably more towards the end of October, but... 20 years ago, and he just wrestled on Raw again. Things that you would never think you would see happen, right? But Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart with Deborah are defending their belts against D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, and their new manager, Ivory. So the storyline for this is Mark Henry, a.k.a. Sexual Chocolate, was easily distracted by Deborah. Maybe it was the puppies that wasn't really around yet, but Deborah was a beautiful woman. 
And Mark Henry was distracted by beautiful women because he's sexual chocolate. He had to try to have everybody from China to Terry PMS, uh, Sammy. We don't talk about that because that gets weird. And this is a family show. So Mark Henry is easily distracted by Deborah. And this was costing them matches. So D'Lo decided to counteract with Ivory. And Ivory was going to be Mark Henry's new focus of attention. And Ivory would keep him focused on his matches. So in Ivory, a lot of people don't know this either. Ivory is actually a wrestler from Glow. Uh, Her name was Tina Ferrari, Nina, uh, Tina Moretti, whatever you want to call her. She's went by several different names. But Ivory can actually wrestle. But the problem was during this time, women wrestling wasn't like how it is today. It wasn't valued, really. That's not what the company wanted. That's not what they needed. They were trying to sell sex appeal still. And they were going by all of the stuff like Sable and Sunny. And they were selling sex appeal more so than actual women being in matches. So I feel bad for Ivory. I think she really missed the boat on her proper time period. But she came in and she still made a name for herself. So she had a successful career. But after that, um, she promised that she was going to rip Deborah's clothes off if she got involved in this match in any way. So those two are going to be constantly yelling at each other throughout this match. Now, this was a really solid tag match, in my opinion. I know some people aren't going to like this, but I like the teams of Jeff Jarrett and Owen Hart, number one. And I always thought D'Lo Brown was very skilled in the ring. And First thing I noticed in this match was the improvement in Mark Henry when he got in the ring. Mark Henry was so much better than where he was two years before this in 96 when he was like first debuting that it was appreciated. The problem, though, is that Mark Henry, you could still tell, had some little hurdles that he needed to jump over. And D'Lo was with him to help him kind of get through that. And I think Mark Henry was starting to get there, though, at this point. Like, some stuff was starting to click, and you could see, like, this dude could be a star. And the sexual chocolate gimmick really helped bring him, how do I want to say this, helped bring him to show he has a personality. Sexual chocolate was supposedly who Mark Henry really was before he met his lovely wife. And I think it really showed that he could smile, be a character, get angry, and he was just more than the big smile and baby face like when he first came in. Back to the uh, stuff here, though. We see D'Lo Brown, Owen Hart, and Jeff Jarrett do a really good job of keeping the match together. I thought this was an average tag match. Now, the finish of the match involves the ladies on the outside causing chaos, and D'Lo Brown's going over there to try to keep the peace and just say, hey, ladies, don't fight. Don't distract the ref because the ref's out there, too. And Mark Henry, meanwhile, is in the ring, and Owen Hart grabs Jeff Jarrett's guitar and shatters it across of his knee. And he had two knee braces on at the time. So he hits him right across the back of the leg with the guitar. Jeff Jarrett locks on the figure four leg lock. Uh, The referee slides in with guitar shards all around him. I guess he didn't know what happened or decided not to ask that question. And the referee sees Mark Henry tap out. It's game over. Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett retain their tag team titles. Um, I gave this a grade of a C. And what can I say? After the match, Ivory did deliver on her promise, though, for the baby faces. Uh, Deborah was in the ring and she starts ripping at her top and Deborah's puppies came out a little bit. But um, Owen Hart and Jeff Jarrett gave her the tag team titles to cover herself up so that she could walk out. But this feud isn't over yet and Ivory is ready for some revenge. Now, 
everything can get real crazy during these tag matches and the breakdowns during the Attitude Era, but I thought that these guys were always able and capable of putting on a good wrestling match. So for that, I thought it was an average match, but I'm happy with it. Now, we're going to take a quick break here, guys, and we're going to have a sponsored message Excuse me, from my friend Josh Burton from Everything College Basketball. He's going to let you know where you can find his stuff, and then we'll be right back with the second half of the show. Hey everyone, I'm Josh Burton, inviting you all to come join the fastest growing group dedicated solely to college basketball, Everything College Basketball. Just go to Facebook and in the search bar type in Everything College Basketball. Once you've joined, feel free to begin chatting with other diehard college hoops nuts like yourself. Also, while you're there, go check out the podcast on Anchor, Podbean, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Just search up Everything College Basketball Podcast, and as always, like, share, and subscribe. Ooh, yeah! Dig it! All right, everyone, and we're back. If you are a College Hoops fan such as myself, make sure you check out Josh Burton's Everything College Basketball. It has everything that you guys could want, and we have March Madness coming up soon, so I know that the excitement level is getting high for basketball, but let's get back to St. Valentine's Day Massacre 1999. We are back now with Kevin Kelly interviewing Mankind about being attacked on Sunday Night Heat by The Rock. This comes up a couple times in here, so I'm only going to review this this one time. It looked like Mankind was backstage uh, training with some legends. Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik were there. And there was one other legend. I can't think of who it is at the moment. But they were back there training. And then The Rock comes out with uh, one of those like hotel like coffee dispensers. And he starts hitting Mankind in the leg. Um, he's picking up stuff, just hitting Mankind, kicking him in the leg, trying to get an advantage for the last man standing match. Um, Mankind cuts a promo, doesn't really say too much, but saying he'll be the last man standing and retain his World Wrestling Federation title. Next, we get to, hello, ladies, uh, Val Venus. Uh, they show like a video of everything that led up to his match with Ken Shamrock for the Intercontinental title. And the whole Ryan Shamrock stuff, which was really good. Ken Shamrock's sister, supposedly, uh, Ryan Shamrock was ringside for a Monday Night Raw. And Val Venus was flirting with her. Same thing with uh, Billy Gunn. And they're all feuding over the Intercontinental title, too. But this adds on top of it. So Ryan Shamrock's in the crowd. Val Venus flirts with her. She eventually goes backstage. And we all know Val Venus. He always tried to sleep with girls. So he ends up making a movie called Sister Act. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even saying this stuff on my podcast. He makes a uh, film, we'll say, called Sister Act with Ryan Shamrock. And Ryan Shamrock becomes his main squeeze for a little bit here. And this is where we are. Uh, this is for the Intercontinental Championship. And we have a special guest referee for this match. Earl Hebner said he refused as the senior referee to put any of his guys to referee this match. So he said, you know what? Billy Gunn can have at it. Um, Billy Gunn offered to be the special guest ref, so Billy Gunn comes out. Uh, he actually does his own kind of intro with the, oh, you didn't know? It works so much better with Road Dog when he does it. But Billy Gunn tried, and he came out here, and he was over, though, at this time. Billy Gunn was probably one of my favorite people on the roster, so Billy Gunn's in-ring ability, bar none, absolutely amazing. But he's regulated to a referee for this show. So we have Ken Shamrock, the champion, versus Val Venus with Ryan Shamrock in his corner. Ryan Shamrock came out, and she looked really stunning, actually. So 
they had her wearing like a nice skirt. She came out looking all right. She played her part being with Val Venus. Um, Val Venus comes out. He used to always do these kind of intros with saying something that was offbeat that you shouldn't say, but it kind of worked. So he comes in the ring doing the hello ladies. And then he's talking about Valentine's day. And he said, all the ladies in the crowd, he has a heart on for them. And I said, heart, (laughs) heart on for them. And, uh, I just wrote in here, my juvenile days laughed at this because I know that I was probably cracking up as a a kid, like 12 years old at that. Like, oh, that was funny. Um, But Val Venus, another guy who had so many like talented skills and he was regulated to this gimmick. And I think that always kind of hurt him that he was stuck with this gimmick. So in this, this is kind of like big brother who's protecting his sister versus porn star. Um, Now, this is something you would expect to be more of a fight than a wrestling match, but we got the exact opposite. The same stuff we complain about today, WWE still sometimes does it, but I guess every match would have felt like a fight, but it's a pay-per-view, so I guess that's not a bad thing, right? That's how I feel. But um, Billy Gunn comes in there, and he's a horrible ref from the get-go. He's getting down real low, rubbing his shoulder, and you know it's all part of the act, but Billy Gunn is not doing a good job at refereeing. He's counting very slow. He's not getting to the spots where he needs to be. Um, He's getting in people's faces because he's a wrestler, and he's acting more so like a wrestler than a referee. Um, This match had a lot. It felt very long, this match. I mean, it wasn't, but this is the beginning of the show where some of these matches felt long versus the beginning where the matches were kind of quick. Uh, three to nine minute matches. Now we're starting to get a little bit longer in here. This one was, I think, plus 10 minutes. So they're in there going at it. Um, in the end, they come out. Billy Gunn and Ken Shamrock start like pushing each other on the outside. They get into it about something. And Val Venus is in the ring and he rolls up Ken Shamrock. Billy Gunn fast counts him. And Val Venus wins the Intercontinental title um, with a small package, no pun intended. I gave that an overall grade of a C. Um, It was an okay match. I just felt it went on for too long. And the fighting styles in the match really didn't fit the story. Grade of a C. Um, We get a video promo for the next match, which is match number six on this card. We had Triple H and X-Pac versus China and Kane. Who would have ever thought Triple H is in the mid card of one of these shows? It's been so long since I've heard that. Um, but this is back when Triple H was the leader of DX, and China was the first one to break away from DX during this time. Uh, China broke away due to the fact of Vince McMahon and the corporation were offering her more money, and she wanted to be a star. And she felt DX wasn't providing that opportunity to her, so she was there. Um, she was hanging around with Shane McMahon and Kane a lot during this time, and we can get into that for future storylines eventually. But the main thing I noticed from this now, during the entrances, the first thing I noticed was I missed the old pay-per-view stages. And I don't know why during this match I noticed it, probably because of how Kane's entrance was set up and how DX, they kept like flashing uh, their entrance video in the background, but you would see the stage and it just made it stand out more. I miss it, man. We just don't have good pay-per-view stages like this anymore that you could use as weapons and they just look different from everything else. Uh, I miss it. Anyway, uh, Shane McMahon comes out after all the entrances are done for both teams, and he joins the broadcast team. Shane McMahon was kind of like the annoying silver spoon in the mouth son, like he's supposed to be, but he's on commentary, um, kind of, you know, riding for the corporation. 
So Cole says this is the first match with uh, man versus woman in the WWE. I'm not sure if that's 100% true. I'd have to really go through and try to fact check him on that. But I'm not sure because Michael Cole seemed a little bit weary in this. And we'll talk about that in another match. Um, X-Pac eventually gets to the outside and punches Shane. X-Pac at the time was the European champion. And this is going to play a huge part into one of the matches at WrestleMania 15. But X-Pac punches Shane and he hits China towards the end with a Bronco Buster while the ref's dealing with some melee. And Shane McMahon actually gets back in the ring and hits X-Pac. Now, X-Pac eventually chases Shane McMahon as he looks like the punk kid, and X-Pac's basically ready to put the martial arts educated feet on him, and Shane McMahon books it to the back. X-Pac follows him. This leaves Triple H, who's in the ring, getting ready to pedigree China, and he's all by himself, and Kane comes in and chokeslams Triple H. China gets the pen. One, two, three. Triple H puts over China. Unbelievable. Uh, I gave this a grade of a C as well. Not a horrible match, but something that could have been improved upon a little bit here. But it wasn't bad either. The thing is with the Attitude Era, they're trying to tell stories leading into the next pay-per-view. Like Everything was kind of chained together, so that stuff just kept moving over and over and over again. And that's how Russo wrote it back then, so it is what it is. Um, we get a promo now for one of the two big main event matches, and it's the Rock versus Mankind video promo. And if you're a big fan, this goes all the way back to the storyline from uh, Survivor Series Deadly Games, that big tournament with the Rock and Mankind. Those guys going at it where they had the the whole turn, and I'm not going to get into all of it, but if you know the storyline, it follows up to here which is the match to decide who's going to be the World Wrestling Federation champion going into WrestleMania. We have Mankind the Champion versus The Rock. Now, on this, immediately, I noticed Michael Cole making a lot of errors on this, and I get it. It's his first time probably being in front of the crowds, and he's getting used to it. It's like his first big year. And Michael Cole had very little confidence in himself at this time. Um And you can see he eventually builds it up because he's not like that anymore. Now Michael Cole takes the bull by the horns and he's the man. But And I wouldn't even say that. I mean, Michael Cole still sometimes is unbearable, but I think that's due to people being in his ear yelling at him versus who he naturally is. Also in this match, you may be wondering, why is The Rock wearing a sweatsuit? Well, at this time, The Rock had surgery on his chest. Um, Rock had some issue with his chest at the time. Some people say it was because he had kind of man boobs and he was trying to get rid of them. Uh, But The Rock had always worn these like kind of Adidas looking sweatsuits where he's got like the all black with the white stripes on. So I always remember this like being like corporate Rock because of him wearing that as well. these matches that the rock and mankind had are freaking brutal. Um, especially if, I know they hurt both guys a lot. Probably they're trying to make rock the made man. And this was kind of his, like, you're a tough guy spot. Um, I call those like Randy Orton versus Mick Foley at backlash. Um, Shawn Michaels versus mankind. Mick Foley was the perfect person to give you the, you're tough. You can uh, hang in here with the main eventers. He was the perfect person to put in that type of match against somebody. And he did the same thing for The Rock here. He made The Rock legit. He was a main eventer, and people saw it. 
Now, Mick Foley took some punishment in this. If you've ever seen Wrestling with Shadows or any of these other shows, Mick Foley took a beating for The Rock. And sometimes they took advantage of him a little bit. And that includes chair shots, him going into the stairs. And we're going to talk about some of this in this match. Um, But tough stuff here. Mankind's knee is the focus of the match. Like I said, going back to that Sunday night heat um, previous taping that they kept showing. The Rock is out there using a chair on his knee. Um, Mankind attempts a pile driver eventually on top of a table. And The Rock reverses and Mankind hits his knee on the table on top of the ring bell. And I, I, I don't know if that was planned, but that looked like it hurt like a SOB. Um, Mick Foley, I don't know how this man walks today when I watch some of the stuff he's done. Even from just the reviews on the podcast, this dude has to be hurting. Uh, so afterwards, uh, the rock drops steel steps on mankind while he's on the outside. Like he just drops steps on him. Like this stuff is brutal. This is stuff that you will never probably see again in WWE. Um, especially in today with all their worries about concussions and stuff. These guys were brawling like, you know what? It doesn't matter. We're trying to make some money. Uh, he drops the steel steps on mankind. Mankind eats it. And he looks like F that it hurts. But he's going with the punches. Um, we get a ref bump in this match. Why it's a last man standing match, I don't know if it was necessary, but whatever. Um, the ref goes down, and The Rock has the mandible claw on. He tries to get the ref to count, which is a tease spot. He tries to have the ref count. He's grabbing his arms. One, two. Earl makes it to about six, and then he's counting himself. Seven, eight. The Rock gets up, even though the people were counting way too fast and got to ten beforehand. So the Rock's back up, and now the Rock makes the count, and he DDTs Mankind on a steel chair, and they end up, Mankind makes it to his feet. They start brawling again, and he gets Mr. Sacco out. Uh, We get the Mandible Claw. That gets reversed into a rock bottom. These guys are both down, trying to figure out what they're going to do. There's two chairs in the ring. Mankind grabs one. The Rock grabs another. And we all know the classic spot that's happening here. They both grab the chairs, run at each other, and they both hit each other upside the head with the chairs, and they both go down. Earl Hebner counts eight, nine, ten. Both guys can't get up. It's a draw. Um, The fans are not pleased when Howard Finkel makes the announcement that Mick Foley retains the title via draw, and the fans were pissed. They were chanting bullshit. Uh, The Rock gets stretchered out. Mankind gets stretchered out. This match was good, and I think it would have been a little bit better if the finish was executed better. It was like 22 minutes long, and I give it a grade of a B-. minus. I thought it could have been better, and I didn't think it was one of their stronger matches out of all of the series of matches that they had at this time. But once again, um, for storyline purposes, it all eventually works out for this. So grade of a B, so you're left wondering what happens with the World Wrestling Federation title at this point because nothing's been decided, really. And we get to the main event, folks. We have Vince McMahon and Stone Cold Steve Austin, and this video package tells a story of the hatred between these two from day one uh, since they started interacting with each other. And it tells a really good story, and I'm very impressed with what they do here. Um, Basically, the match has stakes, though. Austin's WrestleMania title shots on the line here. Vince McMahon won the 1999 Royal Rumble, and it's Vince McMahon versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. When I first saw this, I have this is the feud of the Attitude Era. 
when you talk about what's the most memorable feud of the Attitude Era, some people may say it's The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Some people are going to say it's Triple H versus The Rock. Someone may say it's someone else versus someone else. Um, But in my opinion, and this is solely my opinion, I think it's Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Vince McMahon. That was the whole boss versus employee storyline that everybody craved and everybody loved it. Um, It was unique at the time. It was something that we hadn't seen done. And I thought that it really worked. Now, also, Vince comes out and we see them setting up the cage. I'm sorry, before Vince even comes out, they're setting up the cage. Uh, It's the old school black cage. Um, It's just like the blue one, but it's black instead. It's a little bit nicer on the body versus uh, the 80s ones when you watch like Hogan and them get slammed into it. And that cage has no give. This one's a little bit better, but... Dude, this match is crazy. So, Austin's music hits. The dude is freaking over. People are going ape shit as soon as they hear the glass break. Austin is the man right now. He is probably the most popular superstar ever at this point. Um, and probably ever currently still. Stone Cold Steve Austin comes out and the fans absolutely love him. They're eating up everything. And... The ultimate heel comes out next, which is Vince McMahon. He is jacked to the gills. This dude is diesel for his age. And Vince McMahon comes out, and the people absolutely hate him because he's the boss, and he's trying to force Stone Cold to do something that they all work, and they don't want to do the same thing. And it's such a relatable storyline for people to get into. And Vince was just kind of, he's smug, and you just don't like him. So the match starts with this cat and mouse game of Stone Cold chasing Vince and Vince kind of like running from him. Eventually, um, Vince gets in the ring and Austin has to jump down off the cage because Vince swings at him. Austin grabs his knee with the knee brace on it and he's acting hurt. The referee's checking in on him. And as soon as Vince goes in to see what's going on with Austin, Austin clotheslines him. He You never trust a rattlesnake, DTA Vince, and he got suckered in. So Austin beats Vince's ass outside the cage. Uh, The fight spills into the crowd. People are going nuts. Um, I love the one fan who had to keep getting held back by the security guard when they're over by the announcer's table uh, with the blue shirt on. Funny dude just to watch throughout the match. Um, So it spills into the crowd. They fight outside. And eventually we get to a spot where Vince is trying to get into the cage. And Austin's just pulling him down like, no, no. Vince climbs up on the side towards where the announcer's tables are. And they're fighting him and Austin. He kicks Austin a couple times. and He's trying to get up and into the cage, but Austin's not letting him. Austin grabs him and bounces his head off the top of the cage. And Vince falls back and falls through a table. This is a brutal spot. It looked like Vince broke his back. That's how bad it looked. Like When I watch it in slow motion, it looks like Vince hit. The table doesn't break. He bounces up and falls again, and then the table breaks. Ugh, brutal, dude. To watch it. So after he flies through the table, it looks awful for Vince McMahon. The stretcher comes out. Uh, they're putting a neck brace on him. And Howard Finkel's getting ready to call off the match and declare Stone Cold Steve Austin the winner via the referee's decision. But Stone Cold Steve Austin says, oh, no, that's bullshit. And he doesn't want it. He said, is the son of a bitch still breathing? And then he goes out there and says, you guys want to see me whip Vince McMahon's ass? Give me a hell yeah. Everybody yells, hell yeah. Stone Cold Steve Austin goes to the outside, and he starts putting the hands to Vince McMahon. 
Um, and then he kind of rolls him on the stretcher gurney and rolls him right into the cage. Vince McMahon took up beating this match, dude, and much respect to him for doing it because a lot of these guys who own wrestling companies, they're not doing that stuff, or at least before this, they weren't. So he tosses him off the stretcher into the cage, and I'm flipping my notes over because there were a lot of notes for this match. Uh, the bell finally rings. Vince is in the ring with his neck brace on, and he looks beat already. Uh, Stone Cold Stunner, he drops some elbows on Vince, and he attempts to walk out the door to leave. And as he looks back, Vince McMahon is flipping him the bird uh, before he walks out. And Stone Cold says, no, nah, I'm not done with you yet. If you're able to still flip me the bird, I'm going to get you for this. So Austin comes back in, and he starts stomping a mud hole in Vince McMahon's chest, stomping him harder than I've ever seen him stomp someone before. And eventually Vince McMahon is down, but he finds a way to hit a low blow on Stone Cold Steve Austin. So Austin's down and Vince McMahon tries to leave the cage, but Stone Cold starts ramming his head into the cage. He's kind of doing a teeter-totter thing on the top where his feet are dangling over to get out, but his head's on the inside. And Austin's just slamming his head over and over again into the cage. Um, he grabs Vince, slams his face into the cage. Vince McMahon is now bleeding. I never thought I'd see the day during this time where Vince McMahon's in a wrestling ring. The guy who used to be the announcer on all of my wrestling shows as a kid is in the ring and he's bleeding fighting Stone Cold Steve Austin. The dude from WCW to me too. So like it's, it's happening. Vince is bloodied. Austin starts climbing out of the cage. Now he's climbing over the top. He's almost at the bottom. And then Vince flips him the double bird this time. And Austin gets pissed. He climbs back in again and says, you're not going to keep doing this to me. Austin's hatred for Vince McMahon was running so deep that you're like, oh, man, Austin better just leave, man, because something could happen. And Vince had already promised at this time that if anybody from the corporation came out, they'd be fired instantly. He gave Austin his word about that. So nobody from the corporation has come out or entered into the match. So... Austin gets in the ring, hits a stunner, and he's down by Vince's head, cussing him out, doing the usual, you ain't nothing, I'll mess you up, yeah, blah, blah, blah. give me a cheeseburger, whatever Stone Cold's over there saying to him, and Vince McMahon is down, and all of a sudden, the mat moves, and someone tears through it, it's Paul White, aka The Big Show, the giant from WCW makes his debut in this match, he comes up through the ring, and Stone Cold is looking like, what the hell is this? And he starts tossing him into every part of the steel cage, throwing him through. And as Vince McMahon is starting to get up to his feet, Paul White grabs Austin and whips him into the cage so hard that the cage, the entire side, swings open. And Austin ends up falling out of the ring, off of the cage. And Stone Cold Steve Austin is your winner. Austin is going to WrestleMania 15 to challenge for the World Wrestling Federation title. Vince McMahon's in the ring, and he looks pissed. He can't believe that his plan backfired. It was genius, though, to say that no one from the corporation would interfere, but you get this new giant who can come in and make an impressive debut. I never thought that that was going to happen during that time, and that was the beauty of not knowing who was going to show up on either show, anytime, anywhere during those Monday Night Wars. Absolutely beautiful. Austin wins this match, though. I give it a grade of a B. I thought they did an excellent job with this. Um, it played itself off very well. Is it a five-star masterpiece? Absolutely not. But it played off the fans' emotions and told a great story 
which would lead into the buildup for their biggest show of the year, WrestleMania 15. This was an interesting show to say the least. Um, I gave my overall grade for the show a C. Now, I know some are probably wondering, every match almost felt like it was a C, and I thought that this was an average Attitude Era show. It was exactly what you expected. You got your um, your overtones with the sexual stuff. You got some wrestling in here. You got some storylines, some build uh, towards WrestleMania. It's the same problem we struggle with today. Was this necessary for WrestleMania? No, you probably didn't need it, but... It took a did it take away from it either? No, because this progressed towards WrestleMania. I think what they did was they wrote WrestleMania, they went with the Rumble, but then they had to write a show in between. They said, Well, how can we do this? Instead of putting this on Raw, let's put it on a pay-per-view. But during the Attitude Era, every show felt big. So that wasn't a problem at all. And I know some of you are wondering, well, how can you say the Vince McMahon match is excellent, but give it a B? It was a good match in the end. I'm Like I said, the wrestling wasn't great, but the storytelling was excellent. So that's why I fell in the middle on that one. But overall grade was a C. Um, the Attitude Era shows are certainly something different to watch compared to what we get today. Um, if you enjoy this time period, I would say this is an average show. And if you're ever really bored one day, go back and check it out for a second and see what you think of it. But... With all that being said, guys, I do want to talk to the people who listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Last week was my biggest numbers of all time with the podcast. This podcast thing is really growing, guys. I have a lot of things on the horizon that I think you're going to like. And in the future, I may be looking for people to do roundtable round table episodes with. So if people are interested in something like that, I'll probably post it up and see who's interested in getting on an episode with me. Um, but other than that, thank you guys for listening to the everything pro wrestling podcast. Make sure you are subscribed to the YouTube channel, type in everything pro wrestling, look for that black and red logo and click subscribe. Also do me a favor. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at EPW show. Uh, we tweet about a lot of different wrestling things and we retweet, we have fun on there. So stop through, have a conversation with us and enjoy. Um, other than that, guys, I hope you enjoyed this retro review of St. Valentine's Day Massacre 1999. It's kind of my early Valentine's Day gift to all of you wrestling fans. So I hope you enjoy. But other than that, guys, we're out. Peace. Peace.